Well, good morning, Discover. My name is Daniel Koloff, and I've been here all summer long as the worship arts intern. It's been a, such a great time to come back to my home church and serve here. I've been blessed to get to know you some, some more, and your encouragement has done more for me than you'll ever know. Today, I want to talk about victory in Christ. I could preach a whole sermon on what it means to have victory in Christ. I could preach on that for the rest of my life. But today, I'm going to focus on how victory in Christ should affect our lives right now. Once we know we have victory in Christ, where do we go from there? In order to do so, we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles 20. And if you want to open your Bibles or Bible app, you can follow along. What does this story have to do with victory in Christ? You might be thinking. Well, I'll do my best to explain that later on. But before we begin the story, I want to begin by giving some background on King Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah under his rule. King Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah, and he started reigning at the age of 35. He ruled for 25 years with the fear of the Lord on his heart. We know from the scriptures that he never fell into any pagan practices or religions, and he encouraged many from his country to turn away from their idols as well. When it came to the military of Judah, he raised the army to about 12 million troops. Because of his fear of the Lord, countries around Judah started to fear God as well and didn't declare war on Judah for a while. King Jehoshaphat was wealthy and very highly esteemed by everyone in his country. It seemed like he had it all. It seemed like the nation of Judah had it all. It seemed like the whole region had it all with very little war. But things were not as they seemed. So again, the story starts off in 2 Chronicles 20, if you want to follow along. I'm going to start by reading the first four verses. After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. This was another name for Engedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. So we see here King Jehoshaphat, he's receiving the news that for the first time under his reign that they will be attacked. Three countries, all bigger than his own, are about to unite and pummel his country to the ground. They devised an alliance that meant the end of his rule as we know it. So, of course, he goes to God and he begs for help. And he orders the people to begin fasting and ask for God's help as well. Next in the story, in verses 5 through 12, we see Jehoshaphat's honest and powerful prayer. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah in Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. 
Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. And now we see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us? For they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance." Oh God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking for you for help. So the first sight of trouble in King Jehoshaphat goes to God. He prays. He even praises God in the midst of this tragic news. He admits that he is nothing and that his country is nothing without the help of God. So let's continue. Actually, so what can we learn from this reaction? When we are faced with difficult situations, what can we do? I mean, we all receive bad news from time to time. It may seem that your whole life is just bad news. What do we do in those moments of disappointment? We see from Jehoshaphat's example that our first instinct should be to go to God in prayer. I confess that almost every time something goes wrong in my life, it's my first instinct to just complain, to act in despair, to fight in my own. Because I do not always go to God for help, I lose so many daily battles. But because we have God's Spirit inside us, we can have the faith like King Jehoshaphat. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So I just want to take a moment with you guys in prayer because I know some of you are going through really hard times. We just need to lift up our prayers to God. So if we could just take 30 seconds, close your eyes, and pour out your heart to God. If there's something wrong, tell him. If you don't think you can take another step in the situation that you're in, tell him. And let the peace of God flood your life. Let's do that. God, you know the situations of everyone here this morning. This room is it's full of bad news, broken hearts. There's sad stories, grief, disappointment. 
I just pray that no matter the circumstance that we would come to you, that we would come to you, lift up our prayers, and know that you have a plan that we can't see yet. But God, we also know that you have a plan for us beyond just the here and now. So God, let us just rest in your never-ending love. Amen. So let's go back to the story in verses 13 through 17 and see how God responds to this prayer. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jerul. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions and then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Wow. We see here an answer to prayer, a declaration of victory, good news. The king above all kings declares he will provide the victory. He will provide one of the biggest upsets of all time. So let's continue. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. So at this moment, I can just imagine the soldiers on the other side just talking amongst themselves, seeing an army in front of the, seeing a choir in front of the army of Judah, just thinking, what are these people doing? Do they, do they know what they're done for? This has to be a joke. They're all singing to God right before they all die. And I can imagine the army of Judah with the choir in front of them. And I know a lot of them believed what God had said, that he would provide the victory. But I'm sure some of them were also thinking, what are, what are we doing? Do we know that we're done for? We are a joke because we're all singing to God right before we die. This can't turn out right. And you see, without God's declaration of victory, their thoughts would have been justified. All signs pointed to an utter defeat of Judah. But then God's stuff happened next. Verses 22 through 24. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. 
the armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. And that's the story. All Judah had to do was nothing at all. God declared he will provide the victory, and he was right. The army of Judah sung their way to victory because they already knew they had the victory. So what can we take away from this story? And how does this story apply to victory in Christ? Well, I'm going to do my best to explain that we should react to our victory in Christ like the army of Judah reacted to their God-given victory. But first, we have to realize, what does it mean to have victory in Christ? Well, you see, we were all first a sinner in need of a Savior. The world's way of living, our way of living, was leading us to an eternity apart from our Creator. But then God the Father, he sent his son Jesus to come to earth to live a perfect life and to die a criminal's death. He did that because he loves us. And he rose again victorious because he wants to be with us forever. And we also know from the gospel that anyone who believes in Christ, that he is Lord and Savior, they will also be victorious over sin and death. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. That is the good news of the gospel. That is true victory. So, like I said, when we realize... Actually, that is true victory. You see, just like God promised victory for Judah, God declares victory over the souls of anyone who believes. So what does that mean for us now? If we believe and follow Jesus, if we have this victory, how does that affect our lives today? First, we see from the story in 2 Chronicles 20, when you know you have the victory, you praise and thank God. Like we read in the story, a choir was sent before the army of Judah, singing, Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Because the army of Judah believed what God had told them, they stopped seeing the battle as impossible. They didn't look at the armies they were facing with fear. They didn't question God. All they did was sing, thank God, and stand in their victory. So like I said, when we realize our victory in Christ, we should be able to praise and give thanks to God at all times. Earlier on, we talked about how there's some times in our life where it seems like we're losing every battle, where it seems like all we receive is bad news. And like Jehoshaphat, it's important for us to go to prayer. But there's something about having victory in Christ that surpass any circumstance that we are facing. Again, don't get me wrong. There's times in this life that bring despair. 
But Christ dying on the cross for us and raising back to life was meant to give us a life of joy, freedom, and victory. Christ didn't die on the cross just so we would live a happy life when things are going our way. See, I'm no expert on this, and I feel like this daily. But I know that when you believe and follow Christ, you don't need anything else. I don't need anything else. We all don't need anything else. If forgiveness and eternal life are not enough for us, how can we ever live in victory? How can we ever be joyful? How can we go to God and praise no matter what? The reality is that no matter what, we can go to God and praise. Because the one thing we do need, the presence of God, has been freely given to us. And if that does not stir up endless praise in our hearts, we need to do some searching. So now I'm going to take some verses in the New Testament just to show this kind of joy and victory I'm talking about. So we have first in Acts 16, there's two great missionaries that are thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. It says in verses 20 through 25, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. So Paul and Silas were able to praise and thank God after they had been beaten, stripped naked, and thrown into prison. Why? It surely wasn't because they were into that sort of thing. No, they realized that the joy that comes from victory in Christ was all they needed. Next we see in Ephesians 5, Paul telling the church there, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I could go on about people who realized that their victory in Jesus was all they needed to praise. But I think you understand the point. It means for us as Christ's followers, we should be able at any time to give praise and give thanks to God. So once we continually praise God because of the victory we have in him, next we see that when you know you have the victory, everything else is just icing on the cake. What does this mean? Like I said in the previous point, all we need to praise is the fact that we are forgiven and are given eternal life. But does that mean we can't enjoy the other blessings that God has given us? The second reaction to victory is seen in verses 25 through 26 of 2 Chronicles 20. It says, King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they were gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked God there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. So we see God did not just grant them victory over their enemy, 
but he also granted them many riches as well. And the same goes for us. Like I said, we have been given the guarantee of victory over sin and death, but we are also given so many blessings. We have a ticket into heaven, but we also live in one of the richest countries of the whole world's existence. Just the fact that we're here today in this room of air conditioning, without having to fear the government hunting us down, stripping us naked, beating us, throwing us into prison, it goes to show just how truly blessed we are. So now I'm just going to do this little demonstration. Maybe you can use this as an encouragement throughout the week. So let's say the height of this room is on a scale. Zero would be the ground, and 100 would be the ceiling. And now let's pretend that you have nothing at all. No friends, no family, no food, no water, no shelter, no education, and no Jesus. It's safe to say that you would be at level zero. But then let's say you hear the gospel, believe in the gospel, and the Holy Spirit floods your life and gives you new life in him. Then you're at level 100. You see, you could have nothing at all but have Jesus and have everything. But now let's think. Just think of one good thing in your life. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's the school that you go to. Maybe it's just the breakfast you just had. Really, it can be anything. But now you just broke that scale. You have victory in Christ, and you have what you just thought of. Talk about icing on the cake. So honestly, I know what some of you are thinking. What is he saying? There's no way I can have this kind of joy. I don't think I've ever felt that kind of joy. All I can say is that it's all about perspective. If you go into each day basing your happiness on if you will do this or that, have this or that, be liked by him or her, surely you will be let down. But if you wake up every morning remembering the victory you have in Christ, finding joy in that alone, you can see every other blessing as icing on the cake. You see, God knows us. He knows exactly what we need. And there will be times in your walk with Christ where, where God strips away everything and you realize that nothing matters but Christ. But there will also be times in your life when you feel blessing after blessing. God knows that you can't just last on the news of salvation alone. So be glad, be thankful for those times. But either way, in the famine and in the harvest, in the physical pain and the healing, in Christ alone and other blessings, we should be able to find joy. That's how Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, be joyful always. This can be obeyed when we realize that joy is found in Christ alone. And then we can find even more joy in God's other blessings. So once we realize that our victory in Christ causes us first to praise and thank God, and second, it gives us a second uh, joyful perspective, Next, we realize that when you know you have the victory, people around you find their victory. We can see this in 
Verse, yep. We can see this happening after God won in the army of Judah's battle. Verses 27 through 30 says, Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres, and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. When all the surrounding kingdoms heard the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. So we see from the ending of this story that vision shines a vision of victory to others. So have you ever been around a person that it just seems that they're always negative? They just find ways to complain about everything wrong in their life? How does that make you feel? I know for me, it makes me feel like now I have to think of all the things bad in my life. But have you been around a person that's just joyful all the time? Does it not make you want to crave the kind of joy that they have? This is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus here is teaching that when the church lets their light shine, lets their victory in Jesus give them abundant joy, peace, and love, people around start to notice. People are looking for answers, for an answer that can give them true life. And here's the thing. We, as Christians in America, we have it all. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We have the Holy Spirit inside us. We have the gifts of eternal life, life with God forever. But we also live in one of the richest countries of all times. So if we do not live like we have the victory, what hope is there for the rest of the world. I know there's already a lot of pressure on us. We can always ask ourselves, have we done this or that? Have we gone to this or that Christian event? Have we shared the gospel today? And those are good questions, but oftentimes we can take those questions, create a checklist, and eventually overwhelm ourselves. But we can't forget that one of the best ways of sharing the gospel is to have a joy that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. I know Christianity is known for the good deeds, for their charity work, but until we as Christians act like the victory of Christ has given us joy and freedom, people will continually see us as people who waste their lives. They'll say, if the Jesus they follow brings them just as much sadness and anxiety as I feel, why would I follow him? So we see from this point that realizing our victory in Christ and letting him change not only what we do, but also our emotions, it's a big deal. Realizing Christ's victory is not only good for us, it's not just good for the soul, it's life-saving for others. As a future minister, it is my duty to come up here remind you of the gospel, and send you off to a week of love, a week of living like Christ. I'm supposed to send you off encouraged and more empowered to do so more than ever. The last thing I want to do is put more pressure on you. Like I said for the majority of my sermon, 
that we are called to live in victory, to live with peace and joy. But I know some of you might think, wow, I messed this up. He's right. I need to live like someone who has the victory. I just don't know how. Listen, you're not alone. I couldn't have come up here and talked about this if I had not realized the lack of joy that I had after years of following Christ. Listen, you're not alone. No one gets this right. Maybe no one will ever get this right. But I encourage you to try to lean into the Holy Spirit's strength and find a way to that victorious joy. Right now, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And after I pray, there's a couple of things I would love if you could do. First, if you are completely void of joy, picture the cross. Find joy in that picture alone. Forget about your circumstances. Forget about all the times that you've let God down. Forget about everything. And just remember the love God has for you. And another thing you can do is close your eyes and think of all the blessings that you have. Think of as many as you can, and then think of the cross. Realize you have victory in Jesus and plenty of icing on the cake. And lastly, if you realize that you need to be joyful so that others may find their victory, just pray. Pray that God will make you a light into a servant that shines bright for all to see. Let's pray. God, we need you that will never change. We need you to give us a love, a joy, and a peace so that we can be the lights you have called us to be. But God, also we're just here to praise you and thank you for all that you've done. We have new life in your son, Jesus. In your name alone, we have all we need. Help us know throughout this week that we have the victory in your name. Jesus, in your name alone, we praise, we give thanks, and we pray. We love you. Amen.